It's one of the most beloved stories in all the Bible, but there is significant question about whether it should be in the Bible at all. Let's look at the story of the woman caught in adultery on this episode of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. Hey there, you are listening to Season 1 of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I would like to make a Season 2, but I'm not sure. I'm going to pay attention to three things to decide if there's going to be another season. Downloads, feedback, and money. You can encourage Season 2 quicker if you'll do these two things. First, rate and review the podcast on your podcast player. It helps people find the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. And then number two, send me an email with encouragement corrections, suggestions for a new topic, or whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. The first paragraph of John 8 is a famous story of a woman caught in adultery, and she is brought to Jesus, and they ask what should be done, and Jesus says, whoever is without sin should cast the first stone. They all leave, and Jesus says, go and sin no more. In pretty much any contemporary translation, you'll see that this story is marked out in a special way. This story is not found in the earliest and best manuscripts of the Gospel of John, and almost certainly this was not part of the original version of the Gospel. In early manuscripts, it appears in various places of John's Gospel, leading some to call it a floating story, because it floats to different places, such as after John 7.44, after John 7.36, and after John 21.25. In fact, in one family of manuscripts, uh, it is found after Luke 21.38. In some of the early manuscripts that include the story, they mark it off with uh, the equivalent of asterisks, indicating that uh, the, cop- the person who was copying it was unsure as to its authenticity. If we take the story out of the gospel, then the narrative in the gospel of John actually flows more clearly so that John 8.12 is a response to the charge by the Pharisees in John 7.52. The style, vocabulary, and grammar are all a departure from the rest of the book, and all the earliest church fathers omit this story as they write commentaries on the gospel of John. And all of this leads us to say, that John did not write it, and it's not part of the Gospel of John. Nonetheless, uh, this long addition, well, long relative to other textual critical editions, this long addition to the Gospel shows up actually very early, and it persists almost universally. After a few hundred years, it found its way to where it is now, and it has stayed there ever since. It seems to be an ancient story. Eusebius says that he learned this story from Papias, who died shortly after A.D. 100. It seems he may have known uh, John personally. He was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John. And the thing is, as you read the story, it sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? The earliest church recognized this story as important, and they began including it in the manuscripts, though they knew that it was not original to John. That is to say, the earliest Christians wanted to preserve this story for us and to make sure that we had it as it is. And when they said consistently that the Gospel of John is sacred scripture, this story was part of what they were calling the Gospel of John. Our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit through the church to recognize and preserve the Word of God for us means 
that we ought to treat this story as the Word of God, while we at the same time can acknowledge that John did not write it, and we don't know its original author. Well, that was pretty easy to solve, and we have a few more minutes left, so let me make a few comments about the story itself. Jesus is well known at this time as a teacher of religion, and yet he's sort of a troublemaker because he has new ideas about the way things should be. The scribes and Pharisees don't like him, and they bring him to him a woman caught in adultery. Now, that means that she was either married and having sex with some other man, or the man she was having sex with was married to another woman, or maybe both. And they caught her in the act and bring her to Jesus. Now, here's my first question. Where is the man? The man is notably absent. The Pharisees and scribes are the religious leaders. They are the political and theological conservatives of this culture. And one of the things that conservatives often get wrong is elevating men above women. Of course, that's true here too. And if you know anything about Jesus' relationship with women, you'll know that he's going to be pretty upset that they have caught this woman in adultery and are seeking to punish her without the man anywhere nearby. So they have her there and ask a very loaded question. The law of Moses had a clear penalty for adultery, and that is death by stoning. That's for both men and women. There is no evidence that this was practiced at all in any form during this time period, but it is it was the law of Moses. In fact, the Romans occupied Palestine at this time, and they didn't like anyone enforcing any sort of death penalty without their approval first. It did happen occasionally, but it was rare, and we have no evidence that adultery was ever the crime for uh, a death penalty case at this time. The Romans executed people by crucifixion and not by stoning, but but the Jews executed people by stoning. Now, why does the law of Moses say that adultery requires the death penalty? Well, that's a great question for a different episode that I'm planning, but let's move past that for right now. So, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in a theological conundrum, which has massive political consequences, because if he says that Moses was right and she should be stoned, well, then Jesus is going to run afoul of the Roman authorities, and he's going to tick off the majority of Jews who did not want to stone those who engaged in adultery. On the other hand, if he says that she should not be stoned, then Jesus is soft on sin, and he's disagreeing with Moses. That's never a good thing. So, with the question, they've got him. The text tells us that he writes on the ground in the dirt with his finger. Well, what did he write? Honestly, we have no idea. If you think you know, I would appreciate you telling me. But then, his response is brilliant. It is so brilliant, it has become one of the few things that Jesus said that almost everybody in our culture has heard of before, even if they don't know where it comes from. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. He actually dodges their question of whether or not she deserves to be stoned and turns the tables on them. He says, only a sinless person has the right to judge others. If you are sinless, then you can pass judgment on her. Wow. They understood the impact of that because they all left one by one, starting with the older ones who had the most respect and authority. They all left, everyone, until Jesus was left with a woman alone, and he did not leave. And then Jesus said to her, Is there anyone to condemn you? And the woman says, No one. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. 
Hmm. Wow. Jesus himself is the sinless one. He didn't leave. He has the right to condemn her because he is without sin. And so he doesn't leave. But then at the end, he, he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Again, this is brilliant because he calls what she did sin. She sinned, but he is without condemnation. And this is the way of Jesus. Conservatives are right in calling sin, sin. But there is a strong tendency towards seeing everyone else's sin as bad, but my own sin, eh, not so bad. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. Also, conservatives have a strong tendency to lump people together as either good or bad people, insiders and outsiders. So the woman is an adulterer who needs punishment. The man, well, he was just caught up in circumstances. Let's give him a break. So Jesus agrees with the conservatives about this woman's sin, but he challenges them to honestly wrestle with their own sin and to be honest about the true nature of all people who are a mix of both good and bad. Progressives or liberals are truly compassionate with regard to outsider groups, and they try to protect the vulnerable and weak. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. In the few occasions where people who were stoned to death in the first century of Palestine, it was usually with mob violence, mob justice. And I don't think that that was about to happen here, but this woman was probably quite afraid as she is caught in adultery and brought to Jesus by a group of men for her punishment. Jesus sees this injustice, and he protects her, just like so many progressives. However, he certainly calls her a sinner and tells her to stop sinning. There's not a character in this story here to represent progressives, but progressives, listen, take note. Jesus does not skirt around the issue of sin. So, Jesus is not exactly a conservative, but he's not exactly a progressive. He has a third way. Interestingly, both conservatives and progressives can look to Jesus as a way to justify their own commitments, and they can both say, see, I'm just like Jesus, while they're still very far apart from each other. And that's why we need to come to Jesus with a posture that says, show me where I'm wrong, and I will change, rather than show me where I'm right, so I can feel good about myself. The story is so compelling and so powerful precisely because It challenges everybody. And just like Jesus here, we should call sin, sin. And we should refuse to condemn anybody. Rather, we should protect all those who are vulnerable, even if their vulnerability is a result of their own sin, like the case with this woman. That's the way of Jesus. And that's a challenge for us all. That's how he has treated each of us. And that's why we love him so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I would love to make season two, but I need to make sure that it is worthwhile. So I'm paying attention to three things, downloads, feedback, and money. It costs money to publish a podcast and not a small amount of work. Now, if you'll give me just $5 once, I'll give you your own private podcast link that will have all the episodes from season one without any advertising. Plus, 10 extra bonus episodes. At various levels, you'll also get a lot of other cool stuff. 
Now, I'm not looking for a subscription, just a one-time purchase that will help me to know that this podcast has been helpful and that you would like me to make another season. Look for the show notes of this episode to find the link to give money. Podcasts are getting gobbled up by big corporations and conglomerates. Independent podcasters like me need your support. Thanks so much.